This morning's reading comes from the last chapter of the book of Matthew. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. We've been in a series leading up to this day titled, This Changes Everything, because we believe that all that took place in the week in which Jesus uh, came into Jerusalem, uh, was crucified, died, and then rose, it changes everything. This changes everything. The things that we're going to consider today, particularly the resurrection, changes everything. And so we'll study this passage of Scripture this morning. But I want you to know it changes everything. Hear the reading of God's Word from Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly. And tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with great fear and joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. 1932 was a difficult year for the United States. The depression which had ravaged the country for a few years had now become to get, begin to come to its depths. The unemployment rate, which was 3% in 1929, was now close to 25%. And for those like me who are not good at math, that means one out of every four adults was without a job. Now many people as a result became homeless. They were hungry. And life itself had to change. And so, as Americans uh, considered this Great Depression which had fallen upon them, they said, we need change. And of course, like Americans, when we look for change, we look for a change in leadership. And in 1932, Americans went to the poll to vote for a president who would bring about the change they thought was needed. And of course, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected as many of us know him now as FDR. And I love what FDR said in his inaugural desk after he made the vows to lead the country. And I want to just quote for you. It's a very famous uh, line and quote from his inaugural address, but it is deeply pertinent to us today. This is right near the beginning of his inaugural address. This is what he said. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. The only thing we have to fear 
is fear itself. If you're human, you know how fear can grab hold of our psyche and not let us go. You know when you were a boy and you saw that girl in the hallways and you wanted to ask her to be your girlfriend, you knew that fear very well. Some of you have been brave enough to jump out of an airplane. When that door opens up, my guess is fear has grabbed a hold of your psyche. And you give one last thought. Do I jump? Of course, fear is much more than just silly things like that. The fear of being rejected. The fear of losing a job. The fear of not being able to provide for your family. The fear of death itself. Fear can grab a hold of our psyche and it can deeply paralyze us. As a person, one of the things that I think is common not only to me but to you is the desire to progress, the desire to change for good. And if I'm being honest with myself, what is the one thing that keeps me at bay, keeps me from changing? keeps me from becoming a better man, husband, pastor. It's fear. And my guess is, it's the same with you. Fear has this paralyzing effect on you. And you want to change, but fear's got a hold of you. I mean, does fear have a hold of you? Does fear dictate your decisions does it drive you when you wake up in the morning? Do you want to know something? There's something greater than fear. There's something greater than fear. And I want to tell you about it this morning. The women who went to the tomb after Jesus was crucified went. And I don't know why they went. It doesn't tell us why they went. But what they encountered was greater than fear. They encountered the resurrected Jesus. And what they encountered literally changed not only their lives, but the lives of those that they would tell and the lives that followed Jesus forever, including me and perhaps you. This morning, I want us to look at this encounter because it is my hope that we can overcome the fear that so often paralyzes us. And we can find the blessings of the resurrection. The same blessings that the characters we've read about did so many years ago. There's three things, it's very simple, that I want us to look at. And it's not just three things, there's certainly more things. But there's three things that I want us to look at that the resurrection brings to us today. And the first thing that I want you to see, and you find that printed in your bulletin outline, we've got an outline to help you follow along, but the first thing you'll see that the resurrection brings is comfort. The resurrection brings comfort. Of course, the two women made their way to the tomb of Jesus, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Matthew, again, doesn't describe why they're going, but when they get there, they are greeted by an angel who is bright like lightning and whose clothes are white and the angel is not hovering like so many of us often think. Notice 
the angel is sitting on the stone. I just picture someone when they get to the top of Pinnacle Mountain just sitting on the stone. Well, this is what the angel's doing. It's like, I don't know, uh, that's just me. Sorry. So the angel's sitting on the stone. And of course, the soldiers were startled and were feared and they were so afraid that they fell kind of like dead men. But the angel looks at the women and says to them, Do not be afraid. And then she tells them why. That Jesus is not there. That He is risen. That He is no longer in the tomb. And then the angel invites them to look at the empty tomb. And my guess is they looked. And as they looked, they looked back to the angel who then tells them, Go quickly and tell Jesus' disciples that He is risen from the dead. And that He is going to Galilee. And they will see Him there. And of course the women, upon hearing this from the angel, begin sprinting from that tomb. And they are filled, it says, with joy and fear. This mixture of fear and joy. One can only imagine the fear that they were having. But right into the midst of this comes Jesus. And He says, Greetings! Now, I don't want to project like 1920s greetings. Like, greetings! I, no one says that anymore. But it, we, my guess is it's just a typical greeting just the way we would say, Hello! Guys! Hey! Here I am! And then women, when they hear that, Look at Jesus. Fall down at His feet. Grab hold of Him and worship Him. And then, I, then this. I want you to see this. Jesus says a very profound thing. And you might not think it very profound, but He looks at them and He says this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Like, here's why this is strange. Why would Jesus be saying, do not be afraid, to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary? Mary Magdalene and Mary had walked with Jesus for a long time. They'd seen His miracles. They had, they had been with Him. They'd listened to His teachings. Mary Magdalene has even said of her that she had seven evil spirits delivered out of her by Jesus. So why would Jesus look at Mary Magdalene and Mary, who knows Jesus so well, and why would He say... Do not be afraid. It's a fascinating question. And I think the answer to this question of why Jesus says this can be found in the, 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 the book that which we find this in, the, the book that Matthew, the writer, writes about. In fact, there's three occasions in this book of Matthew in which the phrase, do not be afraid, is uttered. The first time we encounter this phrase, do not be afraid, is when when the, the disciples are on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and they're having a very difficult time getting across the, the, the sea. And Jesus, who's not with them at the time, sees them struggling in the ocean, or in the sea. And then He goes to them. But He goes to them in a very odd way. He goes to them walking on water. And of course, when the disciples see Jesus walking on the water, like you and I would do if we saw someone walking on water, we would panic. And we would think, it's a ghost, which is exactly what the disciples saw. But Jesus looks at them. Take heart, he says. It is I. Do not be afraid. The second occasion in which we see this do not be afraid is in our text. The angel who's sitting on the stone, bright like lightning, wearing white clothes, looks at the women and says, the, the words, do not be afraid. 
And of course, the third occasion is when Jesus encounters them outside of the tomb. So what do we make of this? We make of it this. When a person encounters someone unusual in the Gospel of Matthew, the words, do not be afraid, are announced. And in this particular occasion, the women are encountering something very unusual. And that is the resurrected body of Jesus. It's very simple. I don't want to confuse you. What the women are encountering is someone who's come back from the dead. It would startle you and it would startle me if we saw a loved one who had come back from the dead. We'd probably think we're hallucinating. But here, these women are not hallucinating. They are seeing Jesus. They're at His feet, beholding His legs. And the reality of a physical resurrection brings this for us. It brings comfort, does it not? The truth of the resurrection is that death is not the end of life. There is life after death. Do you know the comfort of life after death? Albert Blythe was a paratrooper in the 101st Airborne in 1944. And he was one of the first uh, men to paratroop or or, or fall into uh, Normandy following... um, Wow, D-Day. Wow, I couldn't think of D-Day for a second. Forgive me. But when Albert Blythe hit the ground, he didn't know where his uh, brigade was or his people were. And he panicked. There were Germans everywhere, guns firing off. And because he panicked, he fell asleep. He was so afraid of what he was about to go in that he fell asleep. He didn't look for his comrades. And then things got so, worse, so bad for him that he came up with this thing called histor- hysterical blindness where fear literally came over his, his whole body. And, and this, this fear of death, this emotional reaction started to have physical reactions in him and he couldn't see. He couldn't do the very things that he was called to do as a soldier to push back the Germans. Of course, they put him back in the field when they found him. And he found himself in a foxhole, scared and afraid. And in the uh, miniseries, uh, Band of Brothers, maybe you've seen this before, he comes to an encounter with one of the baddest soldiers in all the 101st Airborne, Lieutenant Spears. And Lieutenant Spears speaks words to him. I won't quote the words that he says because they're strangely not comforting for for us. (laughs) But they were comforting for Blythe. Very comforting. And he began to understand that, okay, I can do the very things that I was called to do as a soldier. Why do I say that story? Because the, the physical reality of Jesus being resurrected from the grave gives us comfort. Gives us comfort that life exists after death. Does death have a hold on you? Are you afraid to go to places that might require your life? Do you have more life behind you than you do ahead of you? And you're looking at death. Does it fear you? My friends, 
fear not. There is life after death. But this does not mean that death is not the enemy. Death indeed is still the enemy. It is still painful. It is still to be hated. Its sting is still sharp. But this much we know because of Jesus' resurrection. Death is not the great unknown. To those of us who put our trust in Jesus, do not fear what is to come. We will be like Him, living, breathing, speaking, walking. We can take comfort in the resurrection. This is what the resurrection brings. But it also brings more. The second thing I want you to know about the resurrection and what it brings is it brings to us confidence. It brings comfort and it brings confidence. Following his admonition to not fear, Jesus looks at the Marys and says, Go to my brothers. Go to my brothers. Now, on the surface, again, it feels like this is just something we can easily glance over. Many of us know that Jesus is referring to the disciples, the ones that had followed him all throughout his ministry. But if we just glance at this verse, or just glance at these words and just move on, then we miss what, what I think brings so much confidence to us. It, 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 I'm telling you, there, there's a rich reality in these words that bring incredible confidence for us sitting here 2,000 years later. During Jesus' ministry, a man approached Jesus to tell him that his mother and his brothers, his real you know, mother, Mary, and his brothers were outside waiting for him. And Jesus kind of snaps at this man really quickly. And he says, who is my mother? Who is my brother? And then he motions towards his disciples, lifting up his hands. And he says, this is my brother. This is my mother. Saying, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my brother, and sister. And so for the vast majority of his ministry, the disciples followed Jesus. These men were the picture of doing the will of God. Right there with Jesus. They had been through thick and thin with him. They even told Jesus at certain times that they would even die with him. But when the death of Jesus became imminent... As many of us know, what begins to happen? The disciples begin to slide away, one by one. I guess it's easy to follow after God when it's beneficial to us. But when things get a little hard, it becomes a little more difficult. And the disciples found it very difficult to follow after Jesus, to do the will of God demonstrating to us and even to themselves they are not the brothers of Jesus. So then how can Jesus in His resurrection, how can He tell the Marys to go to these disciples, His brothers? How could He speak of these traitors as His brothers? The answer to this question lies in what the resurrection demonstrates to us who follow after Jesus. I want to state this clearly. The resurrection of Jesus confirms to us what the church preaches week in and week out. That He died for our sins. That the sins we have committed have been forgiven and paid for through the blood of Jesus on the cross. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us this confidence that indeed the, the forgiveness of sins is ours. 
Listen to what Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome. It will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and get this, raised for our justification. And justification being a word that means you've been made right with God. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, you have been made right with God. And then he tells a similar thing to the church in Corinth. And you've got to follow me with this logic a little bit. He tells him, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Meaning, if Christ has been raised, you are no longer in your sins. So because Christ has been raised, you are no longer defined by your sins. You're no longer in your sins. Because of the resurrection, we can have confidence that these statements are true. That Christ is not just some person that we mythically just throw our sins at and say, yeah, He died for my sins. No, we look at the resurrection saying, yes, He died for my sins. And no longer am I in those sins. I can have confidence that that is the case for me. My friends, do you know that when you trust Jesus and you look to Him for life, for His life being your life, for His death being your death, do you know that you have the forgiveness of sins, that your relationship with God, the Creator, has been made right? Do you know that? I want you to know that because I want you to live confidently in that reality. I don't know about you. I don't know the words that bring confidence to your life, but I remember this story very well. I was in seminary. And for those of you that don't know what it's like to be in seminary, you really want to do a good job. And you, I mean, it's, it's kind of like graduate school. You, you're trying to, to work so you can get a job, but you also want to please the Lord. But anyway, so here I was studying in the halls of the seminary. And my pastor, this man who I, I look up to, he's like a spiritual father to me, he's coming and walking up. And to my right comes one of my seminary professors. And they start to talk. And I quickly realize... They're not just saying, hey, they're talking about me. Oh, boy. But you know what they started to say about me? And it brought so much confidence to me. This, this guy is going to do some things. And I sat there in my books like, just read my books, read my books. Like, don't, don't let this go to your head, but you got to see. Those words put so much confidence into my heart. And it made me go back to my studies and say, yes, i got to work hard. i got to do this. But someone sees something in me. And I can do it. I don't know the words that bring confidence to you, but I want you to know this. And I want you to confidently embrace these words when you look to Jesus. You are no longer in your sins. Your debt has been paid. And why can I say that? Because he's been resurrected from the grave. He's paid for your sins and His resurrection shows it. It should give us confidence. Like the words of my seminary professor and my pastor giving confidence to me to move out into the world. Not being worm-like. Not being like, I'm so bad. God doesn't love me. God loves you. He died for you. And He was resurrected that you might have confidence that He indeed died for you. My friends, the resurrection brings not only comfort and confidence. The third thing we're going to see is that the resurrection brings courage. 
The resurrection brings courage. When the Marys go to the tomb, they see Jesus. And the reality of the disciples, if, if you know the story, you know where the disciples are at this time. They're holed up in a house, door locked, fearful that what happened to Jesus will soon happen to them. They don't want anything to do with the Jews or the Romans. But these courageous women go to the tomb. These women who followed after Jesus, they go. And when they go, they obviously encounter the resurrection. And Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. Go to my brothers. But he, but he says this to them. I want you to go to my brothers and tell them to go to Galilee. Why is Jesus telling them to go to Galilee? Galilee is a city some 90 miles north of where they are. Why can't Jesus just go to them in the house and tell them what he needs to tell them there? Well, one thing you know about history or the study of history, is that it's one thing to read about history in the books. It's another to learn history at the place where something happened. This is my experience at Central High. We can read about Central High, but it's another thing to go to Central High and to learn about the events that took place on September 4th in 1957, just down the road from here. And so Jesus is bringing him and asking him to go to Galilee because he's got a lesson one last lesson that he wants to give them. Because one of the things about the reality of the resurrection is that indeed Christ has overcome the grave, but the, 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 the show's not over. The disciples are going to have to keep on and march on. And so the disciples, when they hear from the Marys, and we don't have this in our particular text, they do go to Galilee. They listen to the, the words of the Marys and they, they go to Galilee and they go to the mountain which Jesus commanded them to go. And it is on this mountain that the disciples encounter one of the most famous phrases in all of the Bible. It is the mission of Jesus for the church. He tells them this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I want you to know that the mountain in which Jesus gives them this command, this command to make disciples, to teach what they've been taught, is the very place that Jesus' ministry had taken place. The disciples remembered on this mountain when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. The disciples remembered in Galilee the, sea, the, 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 the incredible stories of Jesus breaking bread and feeding thousands. The disciples remembered in Galilee the very power of Jesus in their midst. And now Jesus is taking the baton and He's saying, now it's your turn. Go. Go? The disciples said. I mean, the Romans want us dead. The Jews want us dead. You want us to go do what you did for me and then go get the same thing you, you got? Death on a cross? You want us to go do this? Yeah, I do. But there's one last thing that Jesus says while he's in Galilee with his disciples. And it's the last verse of the entire book of Matthew. Listen to what he says. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus gives them the same mission that He had for His life, to make disciples and teach people what it means to follow after Christ. 
But He did not leave them alone. He always promised to be with them. The reality of the resurrection is that Jesus is still with us. Death has not swallowed up Jesus. He has risen, He has ascended, and He has sent us His Spirit to be with us to the end of the ages. And it is this Spirit which gives us the very courage needed to go into the very throes of death and to preach the news of Jesus Christ. Jesus told the disciples this, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Spirit of Jesus resides with us today. It gives us courage to do the very mission God has called us to. There is nothing that strikes more fear in my three-year-old daughter's heart than thunder. The sheer echo of it brings tears to her eyes. We've, as parents, attempted to reason with her and actually celebrate thunder and lightning. Ooh, cool, thunder and lightning. But the reality of it actually makes it a lot worse for her. If anything, our reasoning actually hurts us. For those of you that live in Little Rock, this past Wednesday night, a string of storms came through our area. And I can't remember the last time there was that much lightning, that much electricity, that much thunder on a given night. And of course, when something like this happens, and Kimberly and I are in our bed, we'll hear the pattering of feet and a shriek from Madeline. Daddy! But this Wednesday was different. When the storms lashed out its fury, there wasn't a pattering of feet and a crying shriek. There was calm and there was serenity in our house. In fact, Madeline actually slept through the entire storm. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because she was already in our bed. <laughs> She was right next to me. <laughs> hey, I realize it's a problem. We're trying to get her out of our bed as much as possible. But here's the thing. There's only one thing that gives Madeline the courage to sleep through a storm. And that's the presence of her dad as she sleeps next to him. My friends, listen. The resurrection gives us courage because we are reminded through the resurrection that Jesus is always with us. He's always with us. And so let us follow in the footsteps of the disciples who believed this and walked into the throes of death. Only one of those disciples was not killed for his faith. Only one. And let us follow their courage to walk into the greatest difficulties knowing that Jesus is always with us. Let us refuse to base our relationships on trivial matters. Rather, let us ask pointed questions to our friends that gets to matters of the heart, knowing that this can oftentimes sever relationships. Let us find the courage to confront our spouses when things just don't feel right, even if we know that in doing so, it could bring about more pain and more strife. Let us find the courage to reach out to friends to confess our neediness, our uncertainty, and our weakness, knowing that Jesus is right there with us, even if our friends fail to follow through. Let us extend forgiveness to those who have wronged us, not holding things against us, losing the upper hand as a result, as our Savior did. 
Let us find the courage to invite people into our community of faith, even knowing that we might be dismissed for doing so. My friends, Jesus is with us. He is risen. Let us take courage as a result. My friends, the resurrection changes everything. And the reality of the resurrection is that we have nothing to fear. We have comfort because life doesn't end at death. We have confidence because our relationship with God has been made right. Forgiveness of sins is offered to those who trust Him. And we have courage because we know the resurrected Jesus is always with us. Let me pray. Our most gracious, great King, the one who's stronger than death itself, the one who offers us so much mercy and so much grace, the one who calls us brothers and sisters when we don't deserve to be called brothers and sisters, help us. With the reality of your resurrection, permeate into the cracks and the crevices of our own life that we might no longer be held by fear, but rather be held by you. And this allows us to move into the dark places of the world, bringing the good news of the gospel, the good news that life is indeed after death, that we have confidence in the forgiveness of sins, and that we have your presence always. Lord Jesus, would you answer our prayers? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.